Welcome to Hollywood Unguide, the James Dolman of political podcasts. Well, this is season six, episode 10. I am your host, David McClement, and I'm broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this evening is absolutely nobody. That's right, I'm making an attempt to do something different here. I'm trying to record a solo pod. Not been on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Um, it's surprisingly hard to get three, three people's schedules to line up. Um, so I've been trying that. I've been recording a bit hit and miss. Can I try and increase the amount of contributors to make it easier? And even then, sometimes it just doesn't quite work out. So this week, I thought, rather than have no episode at all, I would try to do it all on my own. If this is the last time we do one like this, then you know it didn't really work out and we didn't like it. So I guess we'll I guess we'll see whether this is something that might be a trend or we'll just keep it to our usual format. Like I said, it's surprisingly hard to get three people's schedules to line up. Everybody's very busy with work and Brian's snowed under at the moment with his um, PhD. Uh, we all wish him luck with that just so I can make Dr Finley jokes if nothing else and what makes it a bit more difficult as well is we always like to at least a semblance of gender balance uh, so sometimes if we don't have a woman available that we make the decision that not to record rather than having an all male panel or a mano as I've heard them called um, I don't know if this counts as a manual, being that I'm the only one on the panel. Uh, hopefully not. Um, normally at this point I'd ask everybody how they're, how they're, how they're feeling, how their week is, but um, since it's just me, I'll just tell you about mine. Um, I'm off an annual leave from work, which is quite good, quite enjoy that. Uh, it's been a bit hectic with the kids. I was at a meeting last night about my oldest. She's going to high school next year, so we had a meeting at the high school, which was interesting to see. Certainly a bit of an eye-opener when I remember my own school days as we were walking over these sort of raised um, walkways sort of over like a lovely atrium-type design. And all I could think about is if they had that kind of set up at my high school, there would be like daily occurrences of people getting pelted with uh, cartons of UHT milk. And a bad day, there'd be a first year probably pelted over the side. Um, so, change days at high school, apparently. And I think we can all agree that would be for the better. Um, other kids have been driving me mad. Matthew is in full toddler mode. Um my two older girls, like you said, the oldest, the, my oldest one is going to high school next year. My second oldest, she is just driving her mum mad because she keeps telling lies. I hope that's a wee phase that she goes through and comes out the other side of. And our wee sister, the, who's four and a half, has developed a talent for swearing, which is, um, I'll not lie, it's quite funny, but... Um, Less funny when she tells her nana to fuck off and gives the head teacher the finger. So that was um that was a fun sort of week. I hope you are all having excellent weeks and until then, let's get ungagged. Okay. First item on the agenda. The Prime Minister vowed to continue with the plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. The Rwanda policy would see anyone arriving in the UK by unauthorised means, such as small boats, deported to the African country to claim asylum there and not the UK. And it's important to make that distinction there. A lot of people seem to be under the impression it will be failed asylum seekers, people that have 
claimed asylum and, and been rejected that will get sent to Rwanda. That isn't the case. What they're actually saying is anybody that comes up, they are basically going to pay Rwanda a significant amount of money to deal with the problem for them, uh, which is a bit of a abrogation of their international responsibilities, but uh, not exactly something we'd be surprised about with this current government. So, in its landmark ruling on Wednesday, the Supreme Court found that the scheme was unlawful on the grounds that those sent to Rwanda would be at real risk of being sent back to their country of origin, regardless of whether their asylum claim was justified or not, something that would breach international human rights. In the aftermath of the ruling, uh, Mr Sunak doubled down on this policy, telling MPs he was prepared to change laws and revisit international relations if they were frustrating his plans. So that was that. Um, it also had the deputy chair of the Tory party, Lee Anderson, 30p Lee, you may know him for on Twitter, famous for claiming that um, people using food banks uh, just didn't know how to cook because it was perfectly easy to make a meal for 30 pence. And he demonstrated this by doing just that. Of course, he did that using access to a um, industrial kitchen and buying bulk um, buying bulk ingredients and creating a whole load of meals that then, once you worked it out, came to thirty p each. So, if you need food banks and you're in benefits and you've been sanctioned, you don't you don't need to go to a food bank. All you need to do is. Um, get access to an industrial kitchen and buy wholesale ingredients in order to create a food plan, according to him. Absolute clown. So, getting back to the topic, 30p Lee called for the government to ignore the court and put planes in the air. So that's where we are now. We are at a stage where we've got members of the ruling party of the government of the day who basically think that the rule of law doesn't apply to them. You know, we we keep skirting about it, but that is textbook fascism. You know, if the Supreme Court can just be ignored by the UK government, who's to say, why, why should the Scottish government um, do what the Supreme Court says then? What they're effectively say, uh, trying to argue here is that the Supreme Court ruling doesn't apply to England, doesn't apply to the UK government. All it applies to is um, the likes of the Scottish government, the Welsh government. Uh, so a two-tiered government system where the Tories at Westminster do whatever they want, whether it's legal or not, but everybody else has to play by the rules. It should be stated, it can never be stated enough, to be honest, that the small boats that the government are constantly banging on about, and it seems to be Sunak's mantra, he can't seem to talk about anything else, because, quite frankly, he doesn't have anything else. The small boats would be stopped tomorrow if the government facilitated safe legal routes for people to claim asylum. They've systematically destroyed the, the entire asylum system in order to create this backlog and it creates a sense of urgency and a sense of panic and they want to then use that to exploit it for electoral reasons. So they broke the system and want to use the fact that the system's broken to create, you know, fear, hatred, division just so they can stay in power longer. Get a bit of a whiff of fascism about it too, doesn't it? I mean, the best you can say it is the most cynical political ploy certainly that I've ever seen. But here we are. There's also a strange thing about the way Sunak and the rest of the Tories have reacted to this ruling that, like, it's almost as if they can't accept defeat, you know, or, or they don't understand how a, how politics works. It reminds me a wee bit of. Um, Something Ian Hislop said on Have I Got News For You. Um, the, he was talking about the government negotiating with trade unions uh, 
you know, the trade union say announced they were striking over a pay deal. And the normal thing for governments to do is negotiate. The, the unions say we want this, the government say we can't afford that. And eventually you compromise somewhere in between. You know, that was really common in UK politics when trade unions had a bit more political clout. But instead of saying, you know, we will nego we'll, we'll negotiate you or we'll offer you a slightly better deal or, okay, you can go and strike, but we'll not give in. And engaging in that, they, they turn around or, or, or saying they're going to try and change the law, try to ban strikes. Oh, there's that wee air of fascism sneaking out again. The banning of trade unions, that's a classic fascist trope. And uh, this Rwanda policy, it, it reminds me that the same sort of attitude they're taking. Because instead of binning this policy, which, let's face it, governments bin policies all the time. They do they, they do U-turns. Um, it's nothing. Even, even the best of governments do that on occasion. And this is by far not the best of governments. But they're not going to do that. Instead of, they've been presented by a ruling from the Supreme Court of the UK saying, this is illegal, it can't be done. They're turning around and saying, we're going to rip up the international consensus and human rights. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. And a wee bit scary, let's face it. So let's move over, over to the next um, item in the agenda. today's agenda. David Cameron is back. David Cameron has returned to government as UK Foreign Secretary in a shocking comeback for the Prime Minister, a former Prime Minister. Downing Street announced on Monday that Cameron would join the government accepting a peerage in order to do so as part of a wider reshuffle in which whoever Braverman was sacked as Home Secretary and replaced by the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverley. It's a pretty stark example of how the Tory benches are bereft of talent and that they've exhausted the talent that they did have. At the, the 2019 election, they won 365 seats. I think 
Get them down to about 350 now after defections, expulsions and by-election losses. Uh, the current government consists of 92 ministers, 41 parliamentary private secretaries and 15 trade envoys. I think that comes to about 148 MPs. So when you take that into account and that we're effectively on a, a third Tory government since that election after Boris Johnson premiership, the short-lived Liz Truss regime and of course now we're on to Rishi Sunak. So it's not a big surprise that they're um, having to dig up former Prime Ministers to fill the top ranks of the of the government because like I said with the MPs I've got to choose from you then have to deduct from that first of all people that have got a high enough profile are deemed competent enough which God knows what that means with these current governments um, ones that don't have they previously been sacked and have a some kind of grudge? Ones that are kind of actively hostile now to their own party leader, uh, maybe because they've got allegiances to one of the previous prime ministers, and it's very sl slim pickings. You know, so they went back and they've dug up David Cameron. Well. Figuratively speaking, dug up because, you know, unlike Margaret Thatcher, a previous Prime Minister, he's still alive, whereas she's dead, and they would have to literally dig her up to get her into government. But, you know, if this government limps on much longer, I wouldn't 100% rule that out. I mean, I'm very happy to see the back of Suella Braverman. Um, hard to remember a more grotesque, horrible human being um, that's, that's sat at the, near the top of government. Um, truly despicable. Uh, not that clever, despite the fact she's, I think she's supposed to be a lawyer. You wonder. Must be these expensive private educations that must get you through these things without any natural flair or talent for stuff. Um, we used to, we used to think, uh, Pretty Patel was the sort of bottom of the barrel for nasty, vicious policies, ideas. You know, just kind of as a warning, just when you think it can't get any worse, you know, Pretty Patel went out and so Ella Braverman came in. And she, I think, in my opinion at least, was seemed far more extreme right, nastier, even less empathy seemingly than her predecessor uh, so quite happy to see her on the back benches and theoretically be less influence and in what happens and you know hopefully this this is a bit of a setback for the kind of fascist wing of the Tory party not that it's much better since you know the likes of David Cameron, David Cameron and Rishi Sunak, they're sort of representing a victory for the kind of kleptocratic wing of the Tories. Uh, you know where the fascists seemingly want to control us, and the kleptocrats are just happy to steal from us. You know, so swings and roundabouts. I mean, there is an argument that it's good to appoint someone like David Cameron that's got experience, arguably more competent than some of the recent holders of the post. I mean, Liz Truss, of course, was the Foreign Secretary for a a, a good part, part of this government. And it is a problem with this, you know, going back to the last few Prime Ministers, it's no just about ideology. Yes, they're, they're horrible right-wing Tories and that's why we don't like them, but it gets worse than that when you also mix in they don't, that there's a competency, easy for me to say, competency issue there. Um, it's not just that they're 
right wing. It's that they don't know how to do the job of government. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing about COVID, yes, some of it was ideological driven, but a lot of it was just because they were out of debt with dealing with a crisis of that scale. Yeah. So David Cameron, architect of um, austerity, lest we forget. Uh, I don't know, I always, I always found it harder to hate David Cameron than some other Tory Prime Ministers. You know, he's, you can see he was a Tory, but he at least feigned empathy a bit better than I think uh, other similar ones. You know, I find I dislike the likes of Tony Blair a lot more than David Cameron. And maybe that's because, you know, a Labour Prime Minister's not supposed to be like that. Whereas, you know, as Tories go, in some respects, David Cameron was probably actually at least seemed like a human being. You know, at least somebody that, I don't know, I was going to say have a beer way, but I, I, I'm not sure I could really commit to that. But it at least seems human. You know, a privileged, rich, possibly dodgy um, human, but, you know, some of the absolute grotesque characters that have came, came and went in the last few years at the top of the Tory party is, is make me long for the days of, you know, a government that was merely content with forcing horrific hysteria, austerity in the, the party. Uh, sorry, the the public you know it's difficult to say how this will turn out it's you know we've got an, a PM that was unelected and now he's appointing someone to an unelected chamber so they can be the UK's representatives of the world you know there's issues there it means MPs can't really scrutinise them the same way because he can't come to the House of Commons because he's not an MP uh, Bear this in mind, this is in the midst of a very tumultuous uh, international order at the moment. We've got the horrific uh, bombing of Gaza, uh, the war in Ukraine still rumbling on, although doesn't seem to get the same coverage now that the what's going on between Israel and the Palestinian people. So... All in all, we'll see how this turns out with David Cameron returning. I think there's worse things that could have happened, but it's just shown that this is a government on its last legs and it is limping towards the next general election where they will be replaced by Keir Starmer, I think. Um, well documented what I feel, my feelings about him. And we'll need to roll up and we'll need to fight them once we get rid of the Tories. And now... A word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures. From snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles, Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one -one group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Holyrood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Next, next item on the agenda it was the Westminster ceasefire vote. Sir Keir Starmer has suffered a major rebellion over his stance in the Israel-Gaza war, with 56 of his MPs voting for an immediate ceasefire. Actually, I take issue with referring to it as the Israeli-Gaza war. Um, it's not much a war when it's an advanced, funded military against a largely civilian population, but let's go on with us. Ten of the party's front benchers have left their jobs over the vote, including eight shadow ministers, 
announcing she was quitting her role as Shadow Domestic Violence Minister. Uh, Jess Phillips said she was voting with my constituents, my head and my heart. I can see no route where the current military action does anything but put at risk the hope of peace and security for anyone in the region now and in the future. The two Scottish Labour MPs, Ian Murray and new elected Michael Shanks, both failed to support the vote on the ceasefire, despite Anna Sarwar, leader of the Scottish Labour Party, uh, calling for one. MPs voted 293 to 125. That's a majority of 168 to reject the amendment, calling for all parties to agree an immediate ceasefire. So yeah, this was very disappointing. We've all seen the horrific images and videos coming out of Gaza, the civilian suffering. Not not enough to melt the hearts of the majority of MPs, including majority of Labour MPs. Uh, this was an SNP uh, amendment that they put down. Um, the SNP have been very consistent on this issue, calling for a ceasefire. And a lot of Labour MPs trotted out excuses after the vote. Uh, Michael Shanks released an article explaining why he voted Kim Ledbetter. Um, she released a video. And to be honest, I just I do not care what their rationalisations are. You know, they came up with all kinds of reasons why they really support a ceasefire, but couldn't they vote for this amendment calling for a ceasefire? <laughs> we know why he did it. You didn't want to upset Keir Starmer and you didn't want to potentially damage your career spot prospects because of that. And at the end of the day, that was far more important to you than the lives and the suffering of the people in Gaza. It's not surprising coming from Labour MPs who, you know, historically have always fell short when it came to these big moments. Uh, and I, it's horrible. I, I live in the Rutherland Hamilton West constituency, so Michael Shanks is my MP. Uh, you know, as far as I can tell, the man has zero principles. You know, he recently won the by-election. He said he'd stand up to the Labour leadership when he disagreed with them. He spoke about a lot of things like the child benefit cap and failed at the first opportunity. I mean, what more stark reason could you get you know, what more uh, principled reason could you have than calling for a ceasefire in a conflict that is massacring children daily? But but no, he released he released a wee article explaining explaining why uh, it was fine to not vote for a ceasefire when given the opportunity. You know, and this is also because of the Bain Doctrine, as they, they call it, where Labour you know, we'll just never ever uh, support an SNP uh, amendment, which is ludicrous. You know, it's absolutely ludicrous that these petty political games are getting put ahead of, you know, like a, like a proper life and death issue. Um, I just, I can't fathom it. Uh, and then I'll let them turn around accusing the SNP of playing games with putting down the amendment. Well, you know what? Labour had ample opportunity to put their own down. I think they did put a watered-down version of it down, like, minutes before the deadline. Um, so, I mean, who's playing games there? You know, you know, what does it matter what party put the amendment down? What matters is what's in the amendment and the substance of it. But, this is this is UK Labour to IT, you know, it's all about triangulation. It's all about you know it's all about calculation. you know, every position they take is like, well, will this cost us votes or will this uh win us votes? And there's no there's no moral calculation in there. It's and and even a lot of these MPs that did vote for the ceasefire, you know, I don't think they're all saints. I'm sure some of them I've made the same calculation that they live in constituencies with a large Muslim uh, voting bloc. So they're worried that if they 
followed um, followed the three line whip that the leadership put down that they would uh, it would put their seat in danger because that large voting block not just not just a it's obviously not just Muslims that are upset about this but that's one way that they can categorise voters and a lot of these MPs if they lived in a different represented a different area I think might have decided that it was worth um, currying in with the, the leadership but again it's quite horrible the politics we've ended up in that you know it's somehow controversial to say can we stop bombing little children how is that controversial how is that how is that even a question? You know, the idea that you should even need to put an amendment down to call for that is is ludicrous. And I, I don't know what word they would use for a situation where an amendment like that doesn't pass. It's, it's heartbreaking because all through this, all these game playing, all this posturing, People are still dying in Gaza. They're dying every single day. We don't even know how many now because communications have been cut off to such an extent. I think the last word we had, it was about 14,000, almost half of which are children, dead. But that's not enough for Labour to put down their long-standing tradition of refusing to vote for anything the SNP put forward. And I really, really, I'm in two minds about the next general election. We just spoke extensively about how terrible the current Tory, the current Tory government is. Um, but it's really hard to get excited about getting rid of them when a complete, you know, moral vacuum like Keir Starmer is, is likely to be the one to step in to replace them. You know, if, they, if Labour was in government, nothing that was happening, none of the, the current the current position of the UK government wouldn't be any different than it is under uh, Rishi Sunak at the moment. You know, we would be making mealy-mouthed statements and not putting any pressure on Israel to pull back from the genocidal campaign. And it is genocidal, it's been called that by a lot of experts, uh, people involved in the UN have described it as such. Unfathomable to me. Let's move on to our final topic.
Nigel Farage is going to be on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out Here. Fans of the popular reality TV show I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here are threatening a boycott of the new series due to the inclusion of Nigel Farage. It was revealed last week that the former UKIP and Brexit Party leader would be entering the jungle for the next instalment of the ITV reality series. It's also been reported that Farage will make £1.5 million from the appearance, the highest any person that has ever been paid. I mean, it's again, it's the, the mainstream normalisation of the far right. Um, reminds me of Anne Widdicombe, back when she went on Strictly Come Dancing. Anne Widdicombe was the shadow home secretary. And for me, she almost became the template for that kind of nasty viciousness that's became associated with more recent home secretaries, you know, she was anti-abortion, pro-death penalty, a climate change sceptic, uh, anti-LGBT. Um, I think I think she's now in Farage's party. You know, she's we've talked about how radicalised to the right the current Tories have became, but it wasn't enough for her. She's even she she left the Tories to join an even more extreme um, right wing group. But she went on I'm a Celebrity, sorry, she went on Strictly Come Dancing and she came out with that TV shows like the nation's favourite lovable granny. You know, and it was horrible because she wasn't any different. Her views had they changed. Wasn't it, wasn't it like she into a road to Damascus moment? She was still the nasty, uh, hate-filled old bigot that she'd been when she was in frontline politics. But she get she got a kind of makeover, you know, she wasn't very good at dancing, so people felt sorry for her, and it just sort of whitewashed her image, and, you know, you can see that, you could see that you, I'm certain that's what's going to come out, uh, I, I, Farage appearing on I'm, I'm a Celebrity, he's, um, he's good at putting on that faux, every man, I'm just like, you know, a guy down the pub type common man persona. Uh, you know, I don't think he'll be he'll be exposed by this. I think he'll he'll lap it up. I think he'll make a lot of political capital out of it. It'll increase his profile to people that don't know who he is, people that don't know don't know his politics. And I do wonder like You know, is this just ignorance from the producers of I'm a Celebrity? Uh, do they just know he's a high-profile person and wanted to get him in and no clue in politics and it has been somewhat normalised over the last few years as not being a kind of beyond-the-pale far-right figure, despite that's what he is? Or is it, I think it's too conspiratorial of long been stories and rumours about question time and about people with some extreme views being involved in the production of question time and getting you know facilitating 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 the presence and appearances on the panel and in the audience of far right uh, people with far right views that you know, is, is is then used to skew the debate and the public debate and the public perception on issues. Uh, it doesn't seem like a big stretch to me that somebody could be involved in the production of the show with similar sort of extreme views and is using this as some kind of opportunity. Uh, you know, to give a, a massive platform to, to Farage. <coughs> It'll also be, I mean, maybe we can close our eyes and it'll be, is it, it'll be as, as successful as, you know, Tommy Sheridan and George Galloway's appearances on Big Brother, who didn't get that kind of, you know, bounce and popularity or in profile because they basically made a fool of themselves. I mean, particularly 
George Galloway, you know, he is now renowned as the do you want me to be the cat? And then like milk at a bowl. I mean Yeah, maybe if I've got to be positive and going to be optimistic, I'll say you know, maybe something like that will happen with Farage, although he apparently is immune from a lot of the Bush Tucker challenges for people that are not aware of what that is. It's the public can vote for uh, individuals in the jungle to get put through, you know, challenges which involve like uh, you know, extreme like, you know, jumping for heights or eating kangaroo testicles and this sort of thing. Although I believe Farage as as well as negotiating the one and a half million pound fee is negotiating a out from some of the Bush Tucker trials due to health reasons. Uh, I mean, don't forget, this is this is the same show that had Matt Hancock on it last year. So that also, to me, gives credence on the idea that there's somebody involved with this show looking to rejuvenate and help, you know, right-wing politicians sort of either find a second career or further their political ambitions. Um, didn't he work on Hancock's case because he's a complete prat and you know getting exposed to more people just means more people know what an absolute clown he is I worry that Farage is a bit more savvy than that <clears throat> he's a better kind of operator and a better media performer than Matt, Han Matt Hancock is um, encouraging to see that the boycott seems to be having a kind of effect. Um, the viewing figures, I believe, they were like 2 million down in last year and apparently the lowest since the very first season, which was like 20 years ago or something. Uh, so that is a positive at least. It means we might not see a repeat of this if they think that is not an appetite for having fascists parading in TV as figures of celebrity and fun. So that's my positive sort of... <coughs> that's my positive take on it since I'm always encouraged to end the pond in a bit of positivity. I did see a weird theory about that he's gone on to I'm a celebrity, Farage that is to to use it as a platform to push his new pet project, because obviously Britain's outside the EU. Uh, you know, that's what that was his political goal that he fought for for his entire political career. He was successful in that. The rest is that he lived with the consequences. And it was said that the next political project they had is to get proportional representation introduced. And I just... I just don't believe that. I, I find that so difficult to believe. You know, yeah, he's he's a leader of a fringe party, so that makes sense that they would want a a, a proportional system because they're getting locked out, uh, and you know the current system of first past the post effectively makes the UK Parliament a two party system. But we'll get multiple parties fighting within that two-party system, and that's why it doesn't work. That's why the likes of the Lib Dems vastly underrepresented. underrepresented. That's why the Greens are underrepresented. And <clears throat> unfortunately, that's also why UKIP was underrepresented in Parliament. Um, but it's never been Farage's primary purpose. His, his primary purpose has never really to be the leader of UKIP. You almost saw that. Like he walked away for it a few times when it suited him, set his own, like a new party up. He's always been a tool of the establishment. Um, now, a lot of the establishment, like business sort of establishment, didn't want to leave the EU, but a large section of it did. You know, the likes of Rupert Murdoch, he was quite happy to see Brexit happen. I don't think the likes of the 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 people that 
kind of supporting Farage in the background, I don't see them being in favour of getting rid of the first past the post system. It's too important in order to, or too helpful, should I say, in order to maintain, you know, their power and influence. Because look at this, the example. The only one capable of uh, replacing the current government is the Labour Party. And the Labour Party were abs are absolutely sewn up and in the back pocket of the same people that put the Tories in. So, can you imagine a more proportional system? That would be very, very difficult for them to predict and control who would who could take government. You know, they get a big fright when Corbyn took over the Labour Party because that was the first time in decades that a genuine alternative had a chance of um, getting into government in a U in, at a UK level. So, <coughs> I just can't see them supporting PR. Uh, I suppose we'll wait and see if Farage comes out and starts campaigning PR. It would be very interesting and would maybe tell us that it would, it would well, to me, it would say that there's something going on that we're not quite aware of. Uh, and, it, you know, I'm personally very in favour of a more proportional system. I think everything that's wrong at a UK level can get traced back to the fact that there is not a diversity of political opinion and that a lot of mainstream uh, thought like, you know, nationalisation is very popular. Uh, other things in that example effectively get locked out at a, a government at national level, those ideas, because the two main parties that are bought and paid for by big business don't support them. And no other party is really in a position to uh, change anything or really influence it all that much. That would change overnight if the if Westminster had a more proportional system. Um, I know we had an elect a referendum about that back in twenty oh dear twenty. 15, the P, there was an alternative vote election, I can't remember, maybe in 2015. You know, people rejected that because it was put forward by the Lib Dems and everybody hated them because of their betrayal in 2010 of putting in a Tory government that they had categorically campaigned and uh, that they would oppose. Also, that I voted personally, I voted against it because the alternative vote was the least proportional system of all the PR systems out there. It's marginally better than first past the post, and it would help the Lib Dems, but it probably wouldn't have helped a lot of other small parties. So, hopefully, if there is a change of voting system, it is not just regurgitated alternative vote because it's really no really not worth the it's really not worth the fight to get a system that is only marginally better than the Tories but anyway I've no idea how long I've been rambling on for but I've got to end it there we'll see if this wee experiment works my throat is killing me uh, I'm going to get a drink of water after this um, but let us know if you how you found this solo podcast I do miss the kind of back and forth and the banter so I would it would be my preference to have my colleagues back so we will have I think I'm hesitant to say it because we've had so many cancellations for one reason or another but as it stands we, I will have company for my, the next uh, episode uh, so I look forward to welcome welcome those uh, contributors until then you can find all our past podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles and you can sign up for our free newsletter always check out the Talking Sense podcast with Kat and Erin and if there's anything you want us to tweet about uh, to talk about please tweet us at underscore ungagged hashtag holiday ungagged or send us an email 
ungaggedleft at gmail.com and put Holyrood Ungagged in the subject line. Also, if you'd like to join our signal group, we've got a thriving community there where you can chat to all of us that appear in Ungagged. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Until then, everybody, have fun, be good, and be lucky. Mm-hmm.